Log One People, it's your boy Mo, aka the Hoop Genius. We're back with another episode of the Hoop Genius podcast. Once again, joined by the legendary Mr. BJ Armstrong. You guys know the vibes with the intro by now. I don't need to introduce him. His name speaks for himself. BJ, how you doing, my guy? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I feel like uh, you and I are on the same vibe. I'm playing around, uh, hanging up my my jerseys and my new office setup, and lo and behold. There's Larry Bird sitting right there. I know you're a Boston fan. And, uh, you know, Larry Bird is walking in my door. So he, he just walked in my door. I don't know if he's walking in, 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 in the Celtics locker room, but he just walked uh, in my office. So, I, so I wish good. we had Larry Bird walking through the Celtics locker room, man. I, I'm Bird jerseys over there. You guys can't see it on the camera right now. But we're talking Boston. Chaos is how I would describe today, because it was early. It was early, this trade broke in like lunchtime UK. So most of America must have still been asleep. You sent it to me as soon as it broke, so I know you ain't never sleeping. Uh, instant reactions, Kemba Walker for Al Horford, a few other pieces included. We'll dive into that and break that down in a second. What was your instant reaction when you heard this trade had just been broken? Um, why? <laughs> <laughs> that was my... That was my immediate reaction, okay? And then as you take a deep dive, I obviously, you know, there are a lot of things that you have to consider when you make a trade, one being the economics of the deal, right? To understand how that fits into their, you know, their economic structure now and what that means going forward. Um, what are they doing at what positions, you know, Al Horford being a big in today's game you know, you've heard me talk numerous times about what does this mean for their two best players, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Mm -hmm. And obviously you want to address the bigger picture, which is every organization has to not only be concerned with the now, but what does this mean to the future as they're continuing to develop their young guys and to be able to attract guys to play with their current players and how they're going to improve their team. Now, the big question for me, and I can't help but, you know, being a former executive is to ask the following, how do you make decisions as an executive with no head coach? Because <laughs> this was the first thing you said to me when you hit me this morning. Yeah, that, that was like, and I was like, okay, you know, I get it. It's a new NBA and we do things a little different, but how do we make decisions now? with no head coach because every coach has their philosophy players that will fit their philosophy but more importantly you have to talk about the chemistry of how you're going to build a team and I just thought it was interesting that this trade was made during the playoffs before the draft before the lottery balls and my question was simply why what was the reasoning for doing this so quickly right now so and then i hit you and here we are talking about it some hours later yeah so for me you know i was kind of surprised that they sold kemba at a low you know we talked about before moving poor zingas you really want to get him when his value's not at his lowest point so i was surprised they moved kemba now but for me it's a money saving thing so this trade frees up about 9.4 million under the luxury tax for the Celtics going into next season. Before the trade, they were literally at the on the cusp of the luxury tax. So now what their goal is reportedly that they're going to try and re-sign Evan Fournier and then their free agency is going to be focused on getting someone at the full mid-level exception. 
because they've got their key pieces in Tatum Brown, and now it's about how you fit guys in around them. The economics of it, as you were saying before, um, Kevin Walker's contract was amazing at the time. What we can't do is criticize them for Kemba Walker's contract because at the time they signed it, they just lost Kyrie Irving. And within 24 hours, they went out and got another all-star point guard in Kemba, who at the time it was fantastic. And he was looking great up until his injury. Um, but his contract is owing him 73.6 million through the 22-23 season, assuming that he picks up his player option. And given that he misses so many games, he can't play back-to-backs, etc. That's a lot of money. Now, Al Horford is also on a huge contract. However, the f- he, he's owed less. He's owed, I think, $27 million for this season coming up. But what's interesting is the final season of his deal is he's only guaranteed $14.5 million. And that number goes up to $19.5 million if the Celtics make the final. And if the Celtics win the championship, he makes all of that guaranteed money. So for me, this was essentially a money-saving deal uh, off, off, the, off the bat. If we're looking at the Kemba for the Horford swap, the reason why they did it is not for basketball reasons, is for the money side of things, right? And if we talk about the personnel side of things now, Kemba expressed a few weeks ago he was unhappy with his situation in Boston. He didn't like the fact that he was reportedly in trade talks earlier in the season. So he wanted to to go elsewhere. It's like OKC is turning into a rehab for NBA stars that are kind of unhappy. First they had Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, Al Horford, now Kemba Walker. Basically, Sam Presti saying to guys, come here, play for a little bit, then we'll swap you for a first-round pick. So I'm not expecting Kemba to stay in OKC. We're going to talk about where he goes shortly. But for the for the Boston side of things, they threw in a first-round pick as well, the number 16 mm-hmm. pick. And I'll make this guarantee right now. I can guarantee you the number 16 pick, I don't know who it's going to be, but they're going to go on to have an amazing career and everyone's going to laugh saying, yeah, Boston gave away that pick to dump Kemba. I know that's going to happen. I also think that Kemba is going to bounce back from this injury and go and play really good basketball and help another contending team. That's just how the life works. You know, that's just how the universe works. But they gave away that number 60 pick. The reason they did that is, first of all, they've got so many young guys on the roster as well. It would be hard to integrate another rookie. Also, they've gained Moses Brown from OKC. And... He's a young, big man, kind of similar to Rob Williams. He's a bit of a project guy, seven foot, absolutely fantastic rebounder. Needs to do a lot of work on the defensive side of the ball, not a great offensive threat. He averaged, what, eight points, nine rebounds, and one block in in the game that he played. But here's the thing, and, and I want to get your perspective as an executive. His breakout game this season came in late March against the Soics, where he had 21 points and 23 rebounds in Boston. Now, I can't remember if it was in Boston or in OKC, but it was against the Soics. He had that huge 20 and 20 game. Now, how much did, do you think that that's factored into a franchise's evaluation of a guy when he comes into your building or he goes up against your team and absolutely, do you think that when that happens, because here in the UK in Premier League football, I've seen it happen a lot. Teams will always go and sign the players that have scored against them. You know, if a team loses 1-0, they'll go out and buy that player who scored that one goal. Now, from an NBA perspective, how much do you think that that one 21 points and 23 rebound game inflated the Celtics' perceptions of him? Because bear in mind, Brad Stevens, who's now the GM, was coaching against him at the time. You know, it's it, it funny. It reminds me of so many stories that I have as an executive. And 
And one of the stories goes like this. You can always guarantee that you're going to get a call from your coach and your assistant coaches after a game when an opposing player has a big game against them. Because coaches, they live and they, you know, they, 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 they live and they have these lows by winning and losing games. And when a player, a young player has a good game against them, they love that player. Mm -hmm. They love that player. <laughs> they love it because, I mean, if he had a great game against me, he must can play, you know? <laughs> and, and as an executive, you would always listen to this because you don't have as an executive the same amount of emotion to the game that a coach does, right? Because the coach... You, you, you win the game, you lose the game, and there are so many highs and lows that goes into it. You're emotionally involved. You're emotionally involved as an executive, but not to the degree as a, as a coach. I don't want to say that this is an emotional decision, <laughs> but it certainly appears to be one, right? I mean, this guy had 20 or 20 against me. He has to be a great player. I mean, it's me. <laughs> I mean, and I would see this because when I first started seeing it, I was like, you know, it's like, you know, I can only imagine as a player, you're like, well, if somebody scored 20 against me, he must be really good because it's me. Yeah. But, you know, you see these coaches. So let's hope that this was a complete scouting thing where they saw the guy. I'm sure they did. You know, you know, I know the people there in Boston, but certainly when I first saw this, I was like, is this an emotional decision here where potentially he played well, maybe against them in a, in a, in a, in a back-to-back situation sometime for whatever reason, you know, you have matchups that work for you and let's hope for the, for the Celtic nation, yourself included, that this is not the case and that this was a young player. And I, and I, and I think the Ken kid does have some talent, right? I think he has some talent. Clearly, he has some potential, and let's hope that it works out. But yeah, I've heard, I've been in too many of those meetings where you're like, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. <laughs> so here's what's interesting to me is he's very similar in, in build and in the way he plays to Rob Williams. I don't think he's as good right. a passer. He's not a good shot blocker as Rob Williams, but he's still got a long way to develop. But what it says to me is either they believe they can develop this kid into similar to what the time lord is and with the time lord having such a great performance against brooklyn in the playoffs and his trade value being very high are they looking to shift the time lord given he's probably their most valuable assets they're not trading tame or brown if they were to package time lord with maybe a smart or whoever else in a trade to another team and get someone who's like a time lord but worse version that they can work on developing also i really hope that's not the case what I do hope is the case is that now they've got kind of a lot of big men on the roster that we can finally move on from a Tristan Thompson. A lot of bigs. We a lot we, of bigs. It's time to get Tristan Thompson out of here, first of all. It's time to get Tristan Thompson out of here. And Grant Williams, as much as I love Grant Williams, he's essentially a very young version of Al Horford, who's just not as good. So I think clearing up that log jam at the bigs, at the five and sometimes the four, that needs to happen. Thompson can be traded. I think he's on an expiring deal now. Um, Grant Williams, 
I think he's got a great IQ, but I just don't think he's got the physical body needed for the role that he's supposed to be playing in games at the moment. Um, so that's that's the interesting conundrum. And then, of course, the other side, as we're talking to the point guard guru, BJ, the Celtics now no longer have a point guard. Kemba Walker's gone. We've got Marcus Smart, who's looking like prospectively right now as being the point guard of this team. Although I do like what he brings in off the bench in terms of that energy and that defensive focus. Mm-hmm. We don't have a point guard. We've got Peyton Pritchard, the rookie, who's not a starting caliber point guard in the NBA by any stretch as of yet. So are more moves to come as the Celtics look to change up their roster? Well, you know, there are a lot of questions here, but I'm going to, I'm going to be patient before giving my complete evaluation, but this seems like a very odd move as a one-off move. Now, hopefully there are more moves to come and you, you've alluded to the fact that you think they're going to move some other players. You know, one of the big things again, is you want to have, you want to be in, in alignment with your coach, your head coach on how they want to play. And the point guard position in today's game is a very important position. Now, I'm looking at the roster as you were speaking. I'm, I'm looking at it. How are they going to acquire this point guard? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. How are you going to acquire this point guard? You know, and I don't know where this is coming from. I, I really don't. But let's say, okay, let's be fair and let's sit back and let's give them time. And at the end of the summer, let's see how they're going to put together their team, put together their coach, put together, you know, the roster, so forth and so on. And another question I have, since we're, we're asking questions here, Mm -hmm. Brad, are you ever going to coach again? Like, has anyone asked him that question? I mean, the guy is only like, what, 44 or something, 45? Yeah, he's young. He's young. So that seems a little early to me to be burned out. Yeah. So is he ever going to coach again? Well, it's, the coaching aspect is interesting because he's done what I feel like every time they take a coach and make the coach an executive. Doc Rivers, when he went to the Clippers and became president of basketball operations as well as the coach, what was the first thing he did. He brought in Paul Pierce, Glenn Davis, and Brandon Bass. Same with... Uh, Tom Thibodeau, when he became uh, president of basketball operations, he likes to bring in his guys, you know, the D Roses and the Taj Gibsons. uh, And he clearly had an influence on that coming into New York. I know the inside, you know that better than me, but coaches like guys they're familiar with. Right. And I feel like it didn't work for Doc Rivers in in LA. I think I even tweeted out a picture. I tweeted out the picture of Paul Pierce signing with the Clippers. And I said, this is basically what's happened. But The way I see it is this. From a basketball perspective, I think the Celtics played the nicest style of basketball when they made that playoff run with Al Horford at the four and Aaron Baines at the five. I think that's when, stylistically, they played the nicest brand of team basketball. Now, Al Horford is clearly no longer that same player that he was. And I think they're looking at Time Lord to be that five and play the role that Baines played. But I, I don't think Al Horford could stay on the court as a four. Not, not anymore. He doesn't have the foot speed. Well, I want to say, can I say this about Al Horford? I don't, I'm sorry to cut you off. But I want to say of this course, about Of course, of course. 
you know, I've watched Al Horford for a long time, literally since he, you know, was at University of Florida playing with Joakim Noah. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting about Al Horford is he has the size of a power forward. Yep. But he has mastered the art as an undersized five. Mm-hmm. I th- Now, we say Al Horford is no longer the player he was. But since he left Boston, he's actually been playing the four position. I don't, I've never seen Al Horford play the four and be the same player as he is as an undersized five, even at the University of Florida. Because Joaquin Noah is literally kind of a, I don't know, he's a tweener. He's like a, yeah, he's he's like a playmaking five kind of, do a little bit of plays like a four. Yeah. But, you know, they actually complement one another because one is a little physical. Even though Joe King doesn't shoot, he's an exceptional passer, yeah. plays on the perimeter. Al Horford, as a undersized five, I think he's still the same player. As yeah. long as we admit to what he is. Yeah, 100%. If, okay. It's, it's just like when they got him in Philadelphia. Well, he played well against us in the playoffs. He must. <laughs> he played. He played more than well. He was giving that boy Embiid nightmares in the playoffs. Okay. Season after season. <laughs> now that to me was, were you, were you watching him over his career or were you just watching him in this series? That well, goes- he played well against us. Yep. <laughs> I think Al Horford is still a very effective five man. Why do I say that? Is because the the for the most part. The job doesn't require you to have speed and quickness. Al is so skilled, he can compensate with his experience and the way he plays with speed and quickness at this point. Mm -hmm. Strong, you're not just going to back him up. Okay. And he, he's very clever. I mean, Al is like, Al is like a stretch five now. Yep. We say he can't post, but somehow you can throw him the ball down there a little bit. Okay. A couple, couple here and there. He can screen roll. He's an exceptional passer. You know, to me, what he really is, and I've said this, you know, and I say this with the highest compliment, you know, Tim Duncan is Tim Duncan, but he's a version of Tim Duncan because Al just literally, he doesn't make mistakes for the most part. He's efficient. He takes the ball. He's efficient. He swings it. You know, he, he, he you're going to get a double-double. And every now and then, Al will have one of those big 20. So I expect him to come in. And Al is what I consider a very, very efficient role player, like an all-star role player. Yeah, I feel you. He, okay, so I, 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 even though people say, well, he's on the downside, bigs aren't really on the downside if they're skilled. <laughs> yeah. Al, I think Al still ha- Al is an undersized five who we all keep thinking, well, he looks like a four. He should be a four. But the guy's been an the- all-star in his career as a five-man. The, the reason I say at the four is because Rob Williams looked so good towards the tail end of the season when he was healthy, which is what I'm saying is they both can't play the five. There's only so many minutes to go around. That's why and, and either they're going to move Rob Williams. I don't or- think Brad is totally sold on the time lord that's Mm. my personal i don't think he's totally sold brad stevens the coach not the gm now yep 
That's not his. That yeah, player he, he, is not the player he's recruiting at. He, at, 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 at oh yeah, he, he's very or, much sorry, undisciplined sorry, yeah. when it comes to the way he plays. On he's the opposite of what you were saying about Holford. He kind of relies on that natural brilliance of just being able to catch every shot out of the sky and block it. But what's interesting to me is, you know, just what you were mentioning about Al Horford as a playmaker, the Celtics offense this season did look good when Tice was at the five and stretching and spacing the floor. So now without Horford, they get a five back. Because once Tice got traded, none of the bigs on the roster could space the floor because you had Tristan Thompson. He's not sure. Rob Will, he's not sure. And Grant Williams seems to just happy to let him shoot. So now with Horford, you have to respect his three-point shot because he can knock those down at an efficient clip. And he can make plays as well. So I get it, but it goes back to your, your point about the coaching now. This is what's interesting to me. So the reports, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, is saying Ime Udoka, Dev, Darvin Ham, and Chauncey Billups are amongst the head coaching candidates who Boston hopes to interview for a second time. The Soic search continues to focus in the assistant ranks. So these are the guys they're looking at, these three guys, uh, Udoka coached Tatum Brown for Team USA, and they both had great things to say about him. So I think he's the front runner at this point. Chauncey Billups is interesting because he's coming over. He's currently a Clippers assistant, where their two best players are wing players. Like Tatum Brown, they've got Kawhi and Paul George. So it's interesting to see how, you know, they talk a lot about how Chauncey's helped those guys develop as playmakers. But even the Clippers, they needed a point guard to come in. They needed Rondo to come in and steady the ship a little bit. So it's just interesting to me, you know, which coach they go with and do they have some sort of under the table deal already l- linked? Because like you said, it's crazy to make these deals without having a head coach. But at the same time, Chauncey's on the bench tonight in the Western Conference semifinals. Do you think that they've got some sort of, uh, and the Brooklyn assistant Udoka has got that game against Milwaukee to focus on tomorrow. And the other uh, name mentioned there, Darvin Ham is on the Milwaukee bench. All of these guys are still currently in the playoffs. So do you think they've got something in mind and they just can't announce it because these guys are in the middle of a playoff run? Do, do you see where I'm coming from? Okay. Let, let's play this game. It's a fun game, right? Let's, let's play this game. Let's say they do have something in place. Mm-hmm. My question is why? Why do you have it in place already? You don't know the draft. You don't know the outcome of the playoffs. You don't know who's going to be available. Maybe someone gets upset. Maybe there's a disgruntled star that wants to get moved. I hear there's you. so many unknowns. I, I hear so you, my question would be why? Like why right now? Like, and I'll tell you, you why. don't even know the draft I, order I, right I'll now. tell you why though. Because if they have a candidate that they really, really want to be their head coach, there's currently six other head coaching opportunities available in the NBA. They would be looking at it, man. I hope Portland don't hire this guy. I hope Dallas don't hire this guy. Because there's some decent jobs. Like, you can go and coach Dame Lillard, and you can go and coach Luka Doncic. we got to talk about Dallas in another episode, because that, this week, has been absolutely crazy. From Rick Carlisle to Donnie Nelson to... we got to talk oh, about whoa. that another time. But, but I don't know what's going to... But I just think, surely, as you whoa. say, you want to... How many... Okay. I want to ask you this. All right. Though, real All right. Quick. How many championships do the Celtics have? 17. How many do those other franchises have? No, let's add them up. Ain't no one coming close. This is the Boston Celtics we're talking about. You mean to tell me the Boston Celtics are concerned (laughs) 
about, and no disrespect, what the Orlando Magic is thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are you telling me? Are you telling me right now? Are you telling me right now? You're a coach, and you're not going to wait as long as you possibly can to see what the Celtics are going to do before you take the New Orleans Pelicans job. Are you telling me? Are you telling me, <laughs> Mo? Come on, like Mo. I know I'm old. I know I'm old. But Mo, come on. Like this is the Boston Celtics. This is one of the premier jobs in all of sports. Mm -hmm. I hate that, that basketball in all of sports. You are the head coach of the Boston Celtics. I hate you, but, but, first of all, with that job comes the most pressure out of any jobs. You're going to be scrutinized far more than you will in any of those other markets. And then I look at it like, yeah, New Orleans isn't a great place to coach. But Zion oh. Williamson, a potential all-time talent, Luka Doncic, a pot potential generational player, you want to coach those guys. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying that's the reason. I'm just saying that's the only logic in my head that would justify them making these okay. decisions without an official okay. coach. Because otherwise, well, I'm going it's just... Brad Stevens thinking he's still the coach and someone needs okay. to remind him, Brad. Officially here, because I've spoken to a few of these names that you've thrown out, right? Okay. I've spoken to a few of them. Not one of them ever said to me <laughs> that they would pass up that Boston Celtics okay. job. Now, that's a, okay. You, okay. You're talking about two all star players. And we know the Celtics, what their game plan is. They're, they're looking in the rafters. They're not coming there to get to the first round of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. They're not coming there to get to the second round or the conference finals and, and, and win some moral victory. It's the Celtics. Yep. Now, if you're not, if you can't handle the heat that's in that kitchen, you probably should be there. Oh, it'll be under scrutiny. That, this, this, this is the Boston Celtics. Mm -hmm. So I think... You guys are in good shape there. And the the other organizations, the Portlands, the Orlandos, New Orleans, they are concerned about you guys. Yeah. Because I can assure you, all of these names, whether it's Rick Carlisle, Terry Stotts, Chauncey Billups, Jason Kidd, Mark Jackson, everyone has one eye on the Celtics. Okay. I hate everyone. Now, to switch lanes slightly, talking about coaches, I want to just float an idea here, okay? Because I'm looking at the cap sheets and whatnot. And one thing people might not realize is the Celtics could pay Evan Fournier, but just pay him for a one-year deal. Maybe overpay him for this season and say, let's just see out this season. Cool. Because then what happens next summer, going into 2022-2023, the only players under contract in Boston will be Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And Al Horford potentially with his 14 million guarantee. But that gives them the room to sign a max level free agent. Now, 2022, Jason Tatum's best friend in the whole NBA Bradley Beal can turn down his player option and sign wherever he likes. Now, I'm not saying that that's likely to happen, but I'm just saying taking Kemba Walker's 37 
million dollars or it's closer to 38 million dollars that would have been on the books for that summer has now potentially opened some serious now the depth is going to be absolutely crushed if you go down that route right but you've got Tatum who will be making 30 mil that year because his extension will have kicked in and of course the travesty that he didn't make the all NBA team which has cost him another 33 mil that's that's another injustice we've got to speak about Jalen Brown is on the books for 27 million that year but you do have the space to go out and get very good free agents, not this summer coming up, but the summer after that. What are your thoughts to that theory, as it were? I've never seen a team win a championship with cap space. Uh-huh. But I, I, I'm not, I'm not, listen. But I, I want to say this and say this very carefully. Go ahead. If you have a question. I'll, I, I'll, I'll, I'll I was ready. just going to say real quick. If Kyrie Irving's not injured right now, you may very well see the Brooklyn Nets win a championship with the cap space they cleared for KD and Kyrie Irving. You see what I'm saying? The Miami Heat, when they cleared I, their cap space I, for I, LeBron James I, and Chris Bosh. I, I get it. I get it. But also, we, we, we never see two players at that caliber who said, we're going here. They didn't even know the, the, head, the current head coach that was there. Well, how did you know his guy? Well, I saw him coach a few times on YouTube, I think was the quote I remember. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now. Okay. All right. I'm not sure if that's the recipe that you want to have as an executive is to not know. Yeah. Okay. Now, again, if you're putting together a team, Let's put together a team and build it, manage it, coach it, and do what you have to do. Because players don't live in the future. The players live now. Yeah. The players live now. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are not going out there next year and saying, okay, let's just take the year off then, if that's the plan, and wait to that year. Because yeah. this year is just a wash. So this is... This is the human element of these analytical plans that they don't put in. Well, we have all this cash space for the following year. That sounds good in the, 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 the this sounds good in what you used to say newspapers, but now it sounds good in the, you know, in the social media and, you know, being reported by, by these reporters now that cover the NBA, but that's not good business for the players. I haven't met a player yet that said, Okay, I'm just going to go out here and be the guinea pig for the next summer. I'm so, just going to go so, out here and play. So not the Knicks this year, though. N not Julius mm -hmm. Randle this year. Because that's what the Knicks have done. Because their books are empty now moving forwards. And look at what they did. When the Knicks signed those players two, what, a year ago or two years ago, I, I remember I was because I didn't understand why people were saying, oh, these are bad deals. Why did they sign Julius Randle, Todd Gibson, Bobby Portis? Why are they signing all these? What are the Knicks doing? Why are they giving these guys one plus one deals and two year deals? OK, you OK, so let's talk about this. If you're going to manage people, people like they're behind those uniforms are people. Yeah. Right now, we're just talking about cat numbers. And I get it. We're just talking about numbers now. We're just adding up. We got our calculators out. It's very hard to manage and coach people 
when you're not invested into the people behind those uniforms. The reason you sign these players for two-year deals is because you have to, you know, say what you're going to do and do what you're going to say. Because those people have emotions. Yep. Those people have feelings. And someone's got to go down there and deal with the human condition. Now we're saying two years later, after Julius Randle becomes an all-star and all-NBA player, the Knicks have the best books in the league. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Now, think about this now. When the Knicks signed all of those players, they were heavily criticized for that. It's very hard to sign a player for one year and he knows the following year he's out because the moment he doesn't play, he's looking at the coach and organization like, oh, they're trying to screw me and I'm a free agent. Mm -hmm. That's one thing you don't want to do with a veteran. Yeah. That's one thing you don't want to do with a veteran player. Okay. The next thing, if you're going to compete because you have two all-stars now currently on your roster, you better have everybody have both feet in. All of this waiting for cap space, that's not, that's not going now because you're in Boston. You can't go back now. You can't be in the play-in game next year or not make the playoffs next year and then tell me, but next year we're going to get a free agent. Who? I don't know, but we got full cap space. And then if you don't get anybody, I hate I hate that's I'm, hard to do. I'm just that's saying that's, that's all I'm seeing from the numbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, I, hey. I don't know if that's the plan or that's not the plan. That's just what I'm seeing is that flexibility is there because they've got no one else locked up long term anymore. I I, I get I, I get it, but Jason Tatum mm-hmm. and Jalen Brown are now. They're not they're not the young kids who now the future. Whoever the whoever the GM is now, the clock is clicking now. It started. It's starting now. It's it, it started. So I, I don't think that should be the move. But again, this is the current NBA. You guys are the. <laughs> it's, this is your generation, right, right. and I and I always say the same thing. Okay, I, I, let me see. Let me see how it works. I just haven't seen it work yet. I feel you. All right. So it comes down to this, right? Well, I was saying all season long. I was running all season long to anyone who would listen of what the Celtics should do is you've got Tatum and you've got Brown. Amazing. You've got Marcus Smart, great role player, leader, hobby of the franchise. Amazing. But the rest of the roster, I'm looking Romeo Langford, Robert Williams, Aaron Neesmith, Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, Carson Edwards, Shemi Ojale, Taco Fall, and Tremont Waters. If you're trying to compete for an NBA championship, Aside from Rob Will, none of those guys should be on your roster. Like, the roster is filled with rookie players, and in my opinion, the roster should be filled with veteran players. If you really... Okay. Like, like, look at the Hawks last year. They had a bunch of rookies around Trey Young. They struggled. This year, they went out and got all those veterans, and now look at what they're doing. You're looking at every championship team ever is stacked with veteran players. I get that the superstars are young. So why should the superstars be the most experienced players on this team? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. I think Tamer Brown should be like two of the younger players on the team 
And the roster should be stacked with guys that have been around the league a long time and know the game rather than trying to integrate all these first and second year players that really and truly should be playing G League basketball. What's your take? Well, you know, as, as one of my favorite artists would say, first things first. <laughs> first, you got to allow your star players to develop and find out who they're going to be. Okay. A year or two ago, we thought Jason Tatum, we thought Jalen Brown could be good players. If those veteran players that you're discussing are there, they probably don't develop in, in, into the players that they've currently become. I hear you. But having okay. said that, Tatum developed with the roster filled with the Crowders of the world and the Aaron Baines of the world and Al Horford's back when he was there the first time. So his, I get Aaron, it, 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 if Gordon Hayward is healthy, I don't know if one or both of those guys develop into that. Oh, yeah. I hate, I, and the Kyrie injury, definitely. I hate. Yeah, yeah. If Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving, let's say, are there and they don't get hurt and things work out. Jalen Brown, maybe both or one of those guys, they're not, they're not the current player that we're talking about because I'm going to remind you, not all the Celtic fans, <laughs> when they were talking about giving Jalen Brown that money, I remember people were like, ah, ah, come on, come on. They're non-believers. They're yeah, non-believers. Yeah, now, I remember what they were saying. Yeah, I like to remind yeah, them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so now they've both developed. And to some degree, they've kind of exceeded the expectation, especially early on in their career. I mean, these guys, you don't have one guy who's capable of playing winning basketball. You have two guys. Yeah. Young, in their prime, and for whatever reason, and you got to give Danny, Danny Ainge credit, they can play together at a coveted position in the NBA because everyone's looking for wing players. He doesn't get, he doesn't only has one, he has two. All right. Yeah. Now, I don't know if Danny saw that because <laughs> I was watching that game when Gordon Hayward got hurt. I think it was the first game of the season. If yeah, I against Cavaliers. Correctly. Okay. Now. So it's important for those guys that develop, play through their mistakes, so forth and so on. So I think now that, you know, and I've said this to you on camera and off camera many a times. Now I think it's time. This is the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum era. And from this point moving forward, we're going to build a team around them to complement their skills. Because currently the roster as it's currently constructed was not built around them. Kemba Walker and all those guys. This was supposed to be Kyrie, Gordon Hayward, and Al Horford. Mm -hmm. Come on, let's just call it what it is, right? When they, when Danny was acquiring all those, you know, you know, doing his his version of Sam Presti and getting all the draft picks and all of the things. Okay, he got his guy Kyrie. He got Gordon Hayward. Played played with Coach at Butler. Al Horford is there. They got the wing. They got the guard. They got this. And we got two young guys. I think both of those guys were coming off the bench, if I remember correctly, or at least one of them were. Yeah. 
They were mixing up the rotation. Okay. So now I think we are currently saying these are the two guys. And I'll start it how we, I'll, 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 I'll end this how we started at the beginning. Every move has to be done with this in mind. What is, how is it going to complement those two players? It's their team now. They deserve it. They've earned it. And now it's on those guys' shoulders. And let's move forward and let's play basketball. I feel you. I feel you. It's going to be interesting to see how they build a team around those two guys. Because it is more difficult than people think when you have two guys at the wing position. When you think about most teams, they try and build with a big and a guard or a wing. Mm -hmm. And you know what I'm saying? So two guys in a similar position is not being great for the Clippers so far. They've had struggles. Um, with Kawhi Leonard, who's arguably a top five player in the NBA, and Paul George, what, however you just decide to rank Paul George, some nights he's amazing, some nights right. he is he's whatever. But they've struggled, and you know they've had very solid pieces around. It's going to be a tricky t- test uh, for for Brad Stevens in his in his new role, and hopefully he remembers that he is no longer the coach of this team and starts making moves with that in mind. Because I'm kind of worried that next year they're going to go out and try and get. Gordon Haywood back and we might as well call Terry Rozier and get Jonas Jarebko and say, uh, cool, Jared Sullinger, do you want to come back from China? Brad Stevens getting the band back together. But we'll, we'll leave that for another time. We'll leave that for another time. But what, I, I want to talk about this. I, I do want to say this um, because, of course, all of this goes back to the original trade, like, like the picks that became Brown and Tatum and all of these guys. And it goes back to the original trade with Brooklyn back Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett for basically Brooklyn rejects and draft picks and didn't work out for Brooklyn and Celtics won the trade, one of the most one-sided trades to ever happen. But now fast forward to today and the Brooklyn Nets are one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals, looking like they can win the championship. <laughs> and we're here, just spent the last hour discussing the Celtics not being in the greatest of positions. The first thing is the Celtics still won that trade regardless of what happened now. That trade had no impact on Kyrie and Kevin Durant deciding they wanted to play in Brooklyn because Jay-Z's made Brooklyn cool again because they would have never played in New Jersey. I can't see Kevin Durant going to New Jersey. But let's just say, say that what is. Um, but the Brooklyn Nets, let's let's talk about this because they've got the Game 7 coming up against the Milwaukee Bucks. James Harden playing on one leg. Kyrie Irving still out. Kevin Durant put up an all-time great performance. I think that was one of the best playoff performances I've seen since LeBron Game 6 in Boston when he was playing for the Heat. I think that Kevin Durant putting up 49 points, playing the full 48 minutes, not taking a rest, he's not messing about. And I believe he'll carry them through the Game 7. Are you of the same same viewpoint? Very rarely does a player have a performance like he had. I mean, what do you have? 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10, 10 assists, assists yeah. Like something like that. Okay. Very rarely do you string those type of performances together. Mm, unless you're Kobe or MJ. But yeah. yeah and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very rare. Now, the question is not whether or not he can string together those performances. Will he be good enough? For them, the answer is unequivocally yes. Yes. Now, in order for him to put him, put that team in position to win the game, that means he's going to have to get a performance from somewhere, right? Jeff Green, to me, was the key for them winning game five. Oh, seven from eight from downtown? 
is you, you, you get 20 points from Jeff Green, okay? Can James Harden put up a 20-point effort on one leg? Can Bruce Brown or wherever this laundry shaman, wherever this 20 points is going to come, because Kevin Durant is going to get 30. And, and for the Bucks fans, you just don't want to get the guy to get 40 or 50. So I think that this is going to be a very difficult game because they're going to have to get 20 points from somewhere. I don't know where it's going to come from. Maybe, maybe Coach Nash is going to shoot up. I don't know. <laughs> Someone's going to have to give them 20 points. I don't know where it's coming from, right? I, I, yeah. They, they need that because you got to score too now. You, this isn't like a defensive team. This team was built to score points. Well, Kevin Durant is going to score. He's already shown that he can score. He's going to get 30. Let's just put that in pen. We're not even going to put it in a pencil. We're just going to put that in pen. I'll put KD at 50. I'll say he goes yeah, off yeah. again. No. Okay, he gets 50 and the other guy doesn't get 20. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to have to get 20. I'm, and I'm I don't really, know where that's going to come from. I'm really surprised at Joe Harris because after he struggled in, in game three, I really was expecting him to bounce back, especially when they went back home to Brooklyn. No. He, he's really been struggling, which is kind of a surprise, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised because that's why he's uh, a role player. But, yeah. but I feel like game seven, I, now I could be completely wrong. The Milwaukee Bucks could run away with it. Chris Middleton could put up 38 again. Yardis could put up 30 and Drew Holiday could finally decide he wants to score the ball in this playoff series and they could run away with it. But in my opinion, I feel like this might be a horrible game for you boys and the Detroit Pistons fans to watch. Cause I feel like Blake Griffin may have been saving something. He might be t- turning back the hands of time for this one, have something a little left in the tank and put up a little 20 piece from Blake. Uh, yeah. He, I don't care. They, they need to get 20 from somewhere. Okay. Now when you get, the, when you get those 20 points in this game seven, it's not an accident. It's by design. We're going to let, we're, we're, you have two choices, okay? I'm going to read to you before your time. There used to be, a, they, believe it or not, there used to be great players before LeBron and all these guys, believe it or not. <laughs> and believe it or not, there was a, a guy running around here. He's, 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 he's in the room somewhere around, around here. <laughs> and they had this thing called the Jordan Roops. Yep. Okay. And it essentially said this. We have two choices. We're either going to let Jordan get his and stop all of the other guys, or we're going to stop Michael Jordan and force him to pass it to the other guys. Okay. Kevin Durant has already showed that he can score against a double team, a triple team, quadruple team. Mm-hmm. So if it were me, he's going to get his, but I sure as heck can stop Joe Harris. Yep. I can stop. Jeff Green, and if Blake Griffin goes eight for nine in game seven, <laughs> I suppose you lose that game because that's what I'm going to live with. Yeah, that's it. This is similar to... You, 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 yeah. you understand. Now, you're in a game seven. You are going... The guy that's open is open for a reason. Because you've heard me say the three types of shooters there are in the yeah, NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those guys who shoot open shots, those guys who create shots, and then there's those guys who can't shoot. 
Mm-hmm. Jeff Green was open in game five for a reason. Because they said, that's what they said. Uh, I didn't say it. They said it. Now, game seven, Kevin Durant is going to get 30. Let's all put that in. If he can get 20 from somewhere else, I don't care. And if Blake Griffin goes eight for nine, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to pat that man on his back and say, great job, and we'll see you in the next round. That's all you can do. So on the other side, the game six win for the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo put up a great stat line, 30.17 rebounds. But do you know my favorite part of the stat line or my favorite part of the entire performance? If if we're looking at the box score, let me just pull it up real quick to make sure I'm not mistaken in any way. But my favorite part of the performance, Giannis Antetokounmpo went zero for zero from behind the arc. He didn't take a three. He didn't settle for pull-ups. He went 12 from 20 from the field. He was aggressive, attacking the paint. Now, every time me and you watch a Milwaukee game, I'm there screaming, be aggressive, attack the paint. Be aggressive, attack the paint. Now, I do believe that the Bucs could actually come to Barclays Center and win this game. The question is, because we know KD is going to get his, and whether or not anyone gets their 20 points, but Giannis is going to put up 30. Chris Middleton can put up 30. Drew Holiday may or may not turn up. We, we don't know. Okay, he had 21 and 8 last night, 21, 8, 5, and 4 steals, which were huge. But my thing is this. I think this game is the Milwaukee Bucks game to lose, more so than the pressure being on the Brooklyn. Because they're playing without Kyrie and a hobbled James Harden. I think, as we've seen, the Milwaukee Bucks, they got out to a big lead in Game 6, and they maintained that lead. But they also got out to a big lead in Game 5 and threw it away. The difference being... Midway through game five, they went away from their game plan and started just jacking pull-up shots early in the shot clock, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's more on Milwaukee to determine the flow of this game, to determine the tempo of this game, to determine the outcome of this game, more so than the Brooklyn Nets. I think the Brooklyn Nets are set in what they're going to do, but I think it comes down to whether or not the Milwaukee Bucks stick to their game plan or whether they go back to their isolate and maybe run one screen roll and shoot the first shot that we can find. Well, the Milwaukee Bucks came in with one mindset. When you are the visiting team in a playoff series, Mo, you and I know if we are on on that team, we have to win on the other team's home court. Mm -hmm. If you're going to win a championship, Mo, Mm -hmm. and if you don't have home court throughout the entire playoffs, you have to win on the road. And even if you are, even if you do secure home court and you want to be a championship caliber team, there are going to be some bumps along the road. You have to win on the road. Now, this team has put together a game, a quarter or two where you said, hmm, a half. You're like, I'm intrigued. Game five for them. They had Brooklyn. They had them. Mm-hmm. They had them on the ropes. They let them off the ropes. Now, there's no doubt about what they have to do. They got four cracks at this. Both teams have played even basketball at home. Now, that was an impressive victory in game six because they were, they were decisive. They executed their plan. And clearly, they came out with one intention. We're attacking the basket. We're not going to settle and we're going to win together or lose together. 
That's the one thing I did like about game six. They were very clear that they were going to be patient and make the extra pass. It appears to me when they play this brand of basketball, they are the superior team. It's when they start playing this individual basketball mm -hmm. that they get in trouble. Now, if you tell me that Giannis is not going to take any threes in game seven, I really like my chances. Why? Because <laughs> that means Giannis is active and I don't care if he can't shoot consistently right now. It doesn't bother me. No one. And you know how much I love Giannis. I love that kid, Giannis. Giannis mm -hmm. is fabulous. He's, he's a complete player. He is going to be very difficult for them to stop because in a game seven, let me assure you this, Mo, let me assure you this one. Everyone's going to eat the whistle. Yep. Referees are not, they're not going to determine the outcome of this game. I should hope not. I'm sick of that. We've had the worst referee in this season that I've yeah. ever seen in my life. Okay. Now, if you make the three, because we know the three is a, is a weapon, that's good money. But if the three doesn't happen, the most aggressive team is going to win this game. Mm. And the most aggressive team is going to be the more, the more physical team. They're not going to get Kevin Durant, I don't believe, two quick fouls. <laughs> They're not going to get Giannis no. two quick fouls. They're going to let that game be determined by those players that are playing on that floor. Okay, so I think both teams have an opportunity to win this game. But I have to believe that at some point here, they're going to make a breakthrough, talking about Milwaukee. And I think they're, I think even when they lost game five, I said, okay, they can win game seven because they are going to be on high alert if they get up 10 the next time. And I don't think they're going to let, I don't think they're going to let that one slip away. Now, is Kevin Durant capable of winning the game and putting up another performance? Absolutely. Is he going to need some help? Without question. Will it be rocking there in Brooklyn and all those things? Yes, 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 yes. I want to see a great game, but I still like the chances of the Milwaukee Bucks coming into this game, game seven. I feel you. It's a close one to call game seven, as they say, the two greatest words in sports. I can't wait. I'm very excited for it, but let me, let me float this to you. You know, obviously you and I are absorbed in the world of the NBA and like, I get excited about the smallest shit in the NBA world. Like I get excited about the protections on the second round pick that OKC have given to Boston in this trade, right? Just the, the, the smallest details get me really excited about the NBA. I, I, let alone a game seven. This is like Christmas. This is begging in Christmas. This is, I don't even know how to describe it, right? But, you know, I've got a lot of friends. Some of them are massive basketball fans. Some of them are not basketball fans, but, you know, they keep an eye on it and then they maybe watch the finals and all of this. So this year, with no Kyrie playing, and, and James Harden clearly, I don't think, should be playing. He looks very injured, right? And then we're looking at Joel Embiid playing with a torn meniscus and over in the West, no LeBron James, uh, Kawhi Leonard now out. Mike Conley's been out for the whole series for Utah. Donovan Mitchell even questionable for... Um, game number six, which they could lose and go crashing out. The amount of injuries, do you think that that, because I know injuries happen every year and we say this, like injuries are part of the game and it happens every year, but it just feels, I don't know the numbers, I haven't done the math on it, but it just feels that this year, there are more injuries at this stage in the season. Like almost every team left in is missing a player at this point. 
do you think it takes away from the excitement a little bit for the casual fan? Well, I mean, look, this league, clearly you want to see the best brand of basketball or the highest level that you can possibly see, right? The better the players, you know, the, the, the better the quality of the game. So when anytime you lose, in particular, you're referring to these all-star players, the, the quality of the game is going to suffer. So absolutely, you want to see those guys back on the floor. You know, I, I think there's been some, some conversation here lately about, you know, what's going on with these players and how many games they're playing. You know, Mo, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not threatened by stats and analytics, right? It's not like the analytical guys versus the basketball guys, no. okay? Listen, there's a room for everybody at the table and the numbers are the numbers. Your understanding of the game with your eyes or your experience, all of those should come into play when you're making an, an overall decision. Everyone to have a seat at the table. But the problem that I have now is that one thinks that it's far superior than the other. You can't just have all the numbers yep. and you can't just have all of, well, you guys don't know basketball and because you never played or whatever. And you know, you no. there has to be a collaborative effort to utilize all of these tools to make the best possible, make the best choice possible. I think these players are getting injured because of, to me, it's just very obvious. There's no way to cheat hard work. Mo, I, I need four weeks to get in shape. <laughs> Mo, I feel Mo, like I, Mo I, I, I don't care what the numbers say. I don't care. Well, we got hurt. You cannot have these kids, or these players, sorry, start on December 7th, start, mm-hmm. play their first game on December 25th, and not expect them to get injured. There's no way... <laughs> possible more especially with the amount of back-to-backs that were in this like there were some teams that played 19 games in the month of was it was it march 19 games in 30 days it's it's crazy it's it's it's, and and you're condensing the schedule Mm. okay so mo when they say well we looked at the last three seasons let's take the last three seasons okay there was an 82 game schedule Mm-hmm. There was a schedule that was disrupted. And I f- finished at what, 73? 73. And then there was this past season, 72. Mm. Those are three different, you know, yeah, schedules, three different events, and they all took a different toll on the body because they're not the same. It's not like saying, okay, let's look at the last 82, 82, 82. The numbers aren't telling the entire and the true story. What they're really not telling is some of those teams only had like a month to prepare for the following season. So here's one of the more interesting things to me. Do you realize, Mo, that the two teams that were in the finals just a year ago, Mm -hmm. the Miami Heat and and the Los Angeles Clippers, they both lost in the first round the next year. Yep. And, and when you factor in, Jamal Murray went down for Denver from the Western Conference Finals. Jalen Brown went down from Boston, Eastern Conference Finals. 
And when you map the tree backwards, you've even got the Toronto Raptors, who, who made a deep run, went to game seven in the semifinals right. against Boston. He, he had problems. Kawhi Leonard now, who had a game seven, even though they lost it against Denver, out with the injury. Like, that's why I'm looking at this year's champion, not taking anything away from them, because I don't want to do that and disrespect anyone and not put an asterisk on it or whatever. But there's a reason why this year's playoffs have been so surprising because that's not the continuity of what we would have expected from last year moving forward to this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can look at the numbers. Let's look at the numbers. Let's use the numbers. Whoever, but Mo, here's the tell of the tape. A year from now, you and I are going to have an opportunity to look at whoever is the last man standing. This is what I'm calling this championship, the last man standing, because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be the last man standing this year. I want to see what those two teams are going to do after they're playing in the NBA Finals in July. Mm -hmm. They're going to come back. They got to get in shape because the first game is going to be, what, October 19th or something? And Olympics, if they've got any guys going to the Olympics. They got to go to the Olympics, da-da-da. And then I want to see those two teams. If those two teams next year aren't in the playoffs – or they're out early, then, Mo, now we know mm -hmm. that all of this chatter, that these guys' bodies can't take it because of the condensed amount. Now, is, has it been unique with the, with the pandemic? Absolutely. Has it been unique with COVID and all those things? Absolutely. The protocols. Injuries, yes, they do occur. But what we do know, Mo, there's no way to shortchange the month or so preparation that they need. And there's no way to shortchange the recovery process. If it takes 24 hours for someone to recover and you only give it 12 because you are cut for time, well, Mo, guess what's going to happen? There's a chance something's going to go wrong. And you and I both know if there's a possibility for something to go wrong, oh, yeah. you just ask the families, you just ask the 76ers <laughs> right now. Yep. If there's a chance for it to go wrong, it's probably going to go wrong. So, I'm from this, no matter when they start or when they finish, these guys play, are going to get a month to properly train, not get ready to play the first game, a month just to train the body. Then Mo, we have to make sure that these players play anywhere from three to four games a week three games a week or whatever the case may be. And, and, and we can't keep making business decisions, disguising them as we want to do what's best for the athlete because TV is pushing this agenda. Yep. Okay. Adam Silver, I'm sure, and the NBA, they, they probably won't admit it, but I'm sure they understand this. They've all been around long enough to know. But when TV, when ESPN said, quote, Christmas Day is, that's worth X amount of dollars. Mm. And All-Star Game on TNT. Mo, now let's call it what it is. Let's stop playing. Let, let, the, let the people play around. But here, let's call it what it is. Uh, straight real talk. If, if it's business, we have to understand that I get it. Business is business, Mo. Making money is not a bad deal for me. 
That's not it. I'm all about it. But Mo, these people, the product is suffering. The players are getting hurt. And what is this doing to the product? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mo, if those, you know, we we're, we all benefit from the stars of this league. Yep. Now, that's the question. This isn't an analytical question comparing what happened last year. This isn't just a basketball question. Well, this is a player's league and they do it. No, Mo, this is a real question because we've all benefited from the stars yep. playing in this league. And when those star players aren't there, and it's a question. I feel you. I feel you. It's a tough one. And I feel like <laughs> I, I feel like if they wanted to start Christmas in December this year, maybe they should just keep that December start. So now there's a longer off season. But I understand they need money. TV, we get paid off TV money too. So it'd be hypocritical for me to sit here and talk about this. I understand the business right. of it. But I just think it's Mo, it, uh, just because you get longer doesn't mean that it's better. Mo, we need, we need, the players need, not working out shooting shots. And okay. we need a month of training. Yeah. Just the body. NBA to get the body ready to play in an NBA game, not work out and shoot up. A, I'm getting up shots and I'm grinding in the gym and I posted on my Instagram. Feed. <laughs> hey, I'm not talking about that. We need a month to prepare your body to go through this process. And we're going to build it up to where you are physically fit to play 24 to 35 minutes in a game. If you're a starter where you're fit to play 20 to 20, five minutes if you are a bench player where everyone is physically fit and in condition to play those minutes before we get to Christmas or whenever you like, like we are giving these guys like two or three preseason games and then a real game. How Mo like everyone say the game has changed Mo. There's no way for me to get in condition to play an NBA game with three preseason games. Yeah, I feel you. Um, you know what I'm saying? Mo, like they, they can keep saying, they can keep doing this and we can keep running around and keep playing and guys keep... I'm concerned for Kevin Durant because you can't keep asking a player to come off a significant injury, miss protocols and miss games during the regular season, da-da-da-da-da-da, and then put up a 48-minute effort. Yeah. Now, was it incredible to watch? Absolutely. But, Mo, do you know the fatigue and the stress that man had to put on his body? Listen, Mo. I got injured, and I wasn't even playing in the NBA. So I can't even imagine. <laughs> I got injured playing high school and college. Like, I didn't even make it to the NBA. <laughs> I didn't even make it to the pros. So I can't even imagine how much playing. and Because I've been in the gym with NBA guys. I can stay on the court for about five minutes. People don't realize how great of athletes he's got. I can stay on the court for five minutes. I need, I need to get off. And I'm only spotting up shooting jump shots, let alone do what KD did the other night. I can't do it. But what I do have to say, though, is whilst it is an impossible task for Kevin Durant to play 48 minutes every night, it is not an impossible task for the listeners to hit subscribe right now 
and subscribe to the Heap Juniors podcast to keep hearing all of these gems of knowledge from BJ Armstrong and my ad libs and the vibes that I bring too. Oh man, you're you bringing it, it. Mo, Mo hey. you're bringing it. No, we, we're just having a discussion, man. We're just sharing. Listen, Mo, the great thing is, is that, you know, look, I learned so much talking to you and, and, and hearing the perspectives and, you know, as they say, you know, in life, as you get older, the more things change, the more they remain the same. And what I love about the game is, yeah, the game looks a little different, but you know what's beautiful about the game right now is they talk about all these threes and they talk about, you know, you got to either lay it up or shoot your three. But you know what wins though, Mo? Is that mid-range. Game buckets. That mid-range, that, 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 that mid-range in the last four to six minutes, that's where all the great players live. And it's been that way since 1946. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's going to, now they keep talking about the three, but when it comes down to money time, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, Donovan Mitchell, everybody got to get to that mid-range. Yep. And you got to figure out how to score, and they got to get two. They got to get a bucket. So I learned so much from you. Thank you guys for listening. And, uh, hey, man, I appreciate you having me on. And Because uh, I always, always feel like, you you know, you. this is a new world, a new medium for me. So thank you guys. And... Um, I just wish we had more time. Hey, stay locked in. We've got plenty more episodes on the way. And BJ just told you guys about the mid-range. That's why I end every episode. But I said, make sure you like, tell a friend, subscribe, and all those good things. But most importantly, over all of those things, you got to do one thing, and that's get buckets.